You're listening to the Resurgent ATL Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning. How are you? Are you all good? It's, it's Pentecost Sunday. That's kind of cool, right? Yeah. Like Chris said, uh, every day is Pentecost, but I do love, I do love um, our checkpoints in the year of our, of our special, like, celebratory days, our holidays, our things like Easter, Christmas, all this, and, and Pentecost Sunday is one of those where, yes, it shouldn't, uh, it shouldn't stick out in the 300, out of the 364 other days of the year as this is the day we do this thing, but it should be a great, like, milestone and checkpoint and reminder in our hearts uh, and maybe a recalibration, huh, where we, where we go, you really take stock, and you really look at yourself and look at your life. I was, um, I was just talking with a friend of ours, Rini, and um, she was talking about a message that was, I think I spoke it like forever ago, like 12 years ago or something like that. Um, one of my first messages when we moved to Atlanta back then, the first time, and she was talking about something that stuck out to her, uh, and it was that um, you are in charge of your own passion, like external things aren't in charge of stirring your passion or making you passionate or, you know, like you are in charge of your passion and you only have so much passion. Like you have an allotted amount of passion and you're in charge of what you spend it on and you're in charge of how you manage it and you're in charge of where you invest it. And uh, I think Pentecost Sunday is one of those great reminder Sundays of like, where am I pouring my passion? Where is my passion going? Is it spilling out on the ground? Am I investing it? Like, am I wasting it? Am I passionate? Am I passionate? Because that's a good, that's a good question to ask yourself, right? Like, how, how many days do you go through life and, and there's just, it's just passionless? It's, it's the routine. It's the check things off the list. It's to get things done. And this week leading up to this Sunday has been a, a really great checkpoint for me um, to just, you know, kind of look like take stock, to look at myself, to hold up the spiritual mirror, not, not in any kind of like performance or comparison, but to really like think and think back and to look at things. And um, is it okay if we just be honest today? Is that okay to do in church? Um, <laughs> is, that, is that weird? Is that weird? <laughs> Should I have said that even? Uh, but really, let's let's get honest because this week I've I've just been thinking about it and um I've been uh, yeah so in me so I'm just gonna externalize what I've been internalizing how how about that I don't I I have a message I have some notes but honestly I just want to like be honest with you guys because I think that I think that this is one of the greatest ways in communicating from the front that really pulls us all into like really be able to do something with a Sunday. I don't want to speak a message for you to get a message and then you to say that I did a good job. Uh, I don't live for that. <laughs> I, can't, I, I cannot live for that. It just doesn't work for me. You telling me I did a good job on a message is kind of you, but honestly, like that's not my checkpoint. That is not my, that's not my measuring stick. That's not like getting done on a Sunday. If you ever get up here and speak, getting done on a Sunday, the, the only measuring stick I have is God, did I lock eyes with you? And did I communicate what you put on my heart to communicate? That's it. Like anything else from that point is just, uh, it's just not worth much, you know? So I'm not up here to impress you. I just want to be honest with you and maybe let you in on process and, and, and then talk about like what it looks like to go forward. Um, so this, I've just been really thinking a lot. And uh, I've been thinking about like one of the things, so this is how the conversation started. I'm getting there. Um, <laughs> I'm shaking inside and so I'm trying to, uh, I'm sha- I, I, God's doing something. Um, but I heard the Lord say, and he said it this morning, it caught me off guard too. Uh, but it kind of like sums up what I've been talking to him about. And he said that, you know, there's a song from Top Gun. It's the bar scene. They're in the bar and, and all the pilots start singing this song with Tom Cruise, You've Lost That Love and Feeling. You know, if you haven't seen it, whatever. <laughs> I don't know. You obviously are missing out on part of life. Uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about... 
You're either real young or really, I don't know what you really are, but I, I grew up on that movie, so... Uh, but they sing this, you've lost that love and feeling. And I honestly have not thought of that song since I last watched that movie, which I still lived in my mom's house. It's been years since I've heard or thought of that song. Uh, but this morning, um, you know, I was just trying to say, I was trying to get from God a clear thought of how to communicate what, what he was internally doing in me, preparing for this Sunday's message God, how do I put to words what I want to say? And I heard that line, and it'll make sense in a little bit, but I thought it perfectly summed up. You've lost that love and feeling. And um, we are living in one of the weirdest times. Like, there's been lots of weird times in history, right? I mean, there's been lots of weird times. I, my mom told me, you know, like when she was growing up, uh, there would be air raid uh alarms that would go off at the school and they had to practice getting under their desks just in case we got bombed, you know, like it was like, it was like the realest thing to something actually happening on our soil here. And she said it would go off all the time. Like you'd be in the middle of class. Like I grew up doing fire drills, you know, it goes off and you're like, whatever. You're like so desensitized to fires at that point. You're like, this is just a fun reason to not have to do schoolwork right now. We're all going to get in a single file line and walk quietly out. Or, you know, if there's a real fire, everybody's running, right? Like, let's be honest. We can practice this all day. But she would practice these air raid drills, you know, and it's like all, all this crazy stuff. So there's been crazy times in history. Let's just put that out there. But we live in a weird one. We live in a very weird one. We live in a weird time in history that's so polarizing uh, and so divisive in the way that it's splitting people, families, marriages, communities, uh, uh, just every kind of group of people. Right now, there is the bait, and I would call it the bait of Satan, to, to, to kill unity and to uh, just dismember anything that looks like uh, uh, one group. I mean, it's just, it, it is the bait right now, right? And one of the things in that bait is we're, we are losing, uh, our human touch. Like we're, lo we're losing this, like looking each other in the eyes. I'm not talking about just friends. I'm talking about go in town. Now I live on the South side and life is fairly normal there, right? I, I haven't worn a mask in quite a while. Uh, really, I, I forgot about it. Honestly, I did. And I, I went in somewhere that I had to wear a mask. And I'm like, I don't even know where my mask is. I don't have a doctor's mask. I found on this floor of my son's truck, but it was real dirty. And I'm like, I'm not putting that on my face. I didn't know what to do. So I might be experiencing something different than you're experiencing. But still, there's this weird, like, desensitization of, of humanity towards each other. Like, we don't feel it anymore. And people aren't being kind to each other anymore. And people are fine not having human connection anymore. And don't get me started on some of these things like political stuff. Because our political climate's crazy, right? Like, we've got a young generation. I don't care where you stand on this. I'm going to be honest with you. We've got a young generation pushing for socialism right now. <laughs> and I'm like, what? This is crazy. I mean, I grew up with my hand on my heart standing for the national anthem, take your hat off. Like, the, And now people are pushing for socialism. I think personally, this was part of my conversation this week with God. I think personally socialism is a young generation's answer to an impotent church. Honestly, like, that might be really judgmental, but I'm the church, too, so I'm saying it about me. Like, look, I'm holding up a mirror right now. Like, I think it's a young generation's answer to a church that's not being the beautiful, powerful, spotless bride that takes care of the widow and the orphan themselves. Like, it's not government's job. That's my rant. I don't know. I, maybe I should get off the political box, but I think that there's, there's an invitation, and there always has been for us. And this week I had to like look at myself in the mirror and ask myself like Pentecost Sunday. Now I'm a son and that's never changed. I, it's just uh, so so I have to put these out here so you hear me out. Otherwise I get messages in my inbox where people try to talk me back into being a Christian. So because when you speak publicly and especially we put it out online, people everybody wants to pastor you if you're honest. That's why pastors aren't honest because <laughs> they don't want 
They don't want to hear it. They're like, no, I get it. You didn't hear me. You heard part of it, but you didn't hear me. I get it. I was just being honest with you because I felt like that was powerful. But um, So I'm still a son. I love Jesus. I'm not deconstructing anything. <laughs> it's not in the cards. It's not in my deck. I have no interest in it. But I was thinking about my last especially six years, and that song, You've Lost That Love and Feeling, like that, it really does resonate with me. The last six years have been probably the roughest six years in my Christian walk. And, and it's, 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 I'm not going to blame it on 2020. Like 2020 was just like a little bit of, maybe one of the candles on the cake, not even the icing, but it was just like one of the candles, like the one that you blow out that keeps coming back. Or, <laughs> 14 days to stop the, you know, just keep coming, coming back. You're like, who put the trick candle on the cake? Thanks for that. Now that the cake has spit all over it, we'll all eat together, right? Because <laughs> I was blowing it out so many times. Uh, <laughs> but really, honestly, I can't blame 2020 because uh, the last six years of my life, um, I can look, and this is where I get honest, but I can look and I, I, okay, we'll go this way. I have seen crazy things, crazy things that God has done. I've seen people get up and walk out of wheelchairs that have never walked a day in their life. Get up. You can't fake that. People talk about miracles not being, okay, go for it. Positively think them out of that situation, right? It's not going to happen. I've seen people see for the first time in their life. See. I watch, I've told a lot of testimonies here, but, because I have favorites. I have Lots of testimonies, but I have favorites that stick out. I watched a little girl, 15 years old, stand up in front of 17,000 people in Chicago. And I've told this here before, but hearing for the first time, and the first thing she hears is 17,000 people screaming at the top of their lungs because she's hearing for the first time. She's hearing that for the first time. That's her first, like, real sound she's hearing. 17,000 roaring people. My ears were going, they were maxing out. You know, your ears can max out with that many people yelling, and your ears just go, woo, 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 because they cannot, your speakers can't take that much. And that's the first thing she's hearing. I watched her eyes as it was sheer terror, but also wonder mixed together because it was so loud that it was terrible, but it was so awesome that it was complete wonder as tears streamed down her face and she's just wailing, crying because she's hearing for the first time. Oh, I've, uh, I've watched my daughter who's now in youth group over there, 15 in August. What the heck? That's my baby. Judah just turned 18. What? I know. Oh, look. I'm letting the grays grow out. I used to clip them off. Now I'm like, ah, I can't beat them, join them. <laughs> Just let them go, right? He's 18. He's graduating high school right now. He's already taking his final. final. He's no longer. You know what he's doing right now today? He produces music. He decided that he's always been musical. He decided he wants to produce music. So he produces music, and one of the artists he wrote some tracks for just got picked up on a label. Um, and they said that the reason we picked him up on the label was this one track. And he said, oh, my, oh, my friend made that track. And, well, it's my kid. It's my <laughs> made the track. So now he's in this brand-new biggest studio in Atlanta with these artists that are famous people. And he's making music for the next week. He stayed up all night last night making music. Now he's 18, so he can do that, right? <laughs> Bedtime went out the window. Now he's going to stay up all night for a week straight just making music. He's making music doing what he loves. Like, that's just, just absolutely insane to me. But my kids are growing up. But I remember Ava, maybe 10 years old, with Lacey in Nicaragua. And uh, we were doing a, a service, and they brought, um, they brought an entire group of uh, young men who were deaf, either from birth or just something that happened to them, and most of them deaf and mute. And I remember watching my little girl and my wife pray for them, and three of them that stayed for prayer at the end, one at a time, their ears started popping open. And I watched a young man who's never said a word in his life say, Jesus. His first word was Jesus. And it keeps popping up on my Facebook every single year. It pops back up as a reminder. Beautiful thing about Facebook. People say Facebook is the devil. No, 
Just like money, Facebook doesn't change you. It just reveals what's inside of you, right? Like money doesn't change people. Money just reveals what's inside of people, right? And so Facebook is a beautiful tool for the kingdom, or it's ugly because you let it get that way, right? And look, I know we can't control other people. I just mute them. It's <laughs> my answer. I just like, I'm tired of hearing that. Ding. <laughs> and I no longer hear it. It's like good, beautiful boundaries. Anyway. I've got all these testimonies that just pop up on my page year-round. They just continue to pop up. It's beautiful. It's, it's the, the Lord. I mean, these, these young men, every time I see their face, I'm reminded of that experience and the feeling of being so humbled. Like, that's cool, man. Deaf ears opening. See, so I'm, I'm telling you all that. I've, I've seen crazy stuff. A uh, girl, I, I have my favorites. The little girl in Redding, 40% curve in her spine. You know how big a 40% curve in your spine is? Unbelievable. 7% is not good. 10%, not good. 40% with no muscle development in her back, so she has a plastic brace that goes all the way up to her armpits and down to just below her hips that holds her up. And then she has to walk with a walker. And as, I watch as they take this brace off of this little girl and she's like this and they're holding her up and they're praying, her youth group, who's prayed for her forever, is praying for her and we watch as she stands up on her own for the first time and her back straightens out. I've told you stories about uh, Wind Farm, Max, Max uh, Security Penitentiary in um, Texas. And just, I mean, going there and being able to minister in the prison, maximum secure, uh, supermax, sorry, not maximum, supermax, one of our only supermax prisons in our nation, like big supermax prison. The security to get into security, to be checked by security before you go check by security, and then before they strip you down and check you by security, is more than most prisons. Just the first security, just to get it in the parking lot security is more than most prisons. And you go through point after point until all I had left was the fabric that was covering my body because everything else was taken from me. I mean, you can't have shoelaces, nothing, right? We're going in this place. Max, super max security, and Jesus is moving hardcore in this prison. I thought we were going in to minister to prisoners, and I got ministered to more than I experienced the Father's heart in a way that I've never experienced. I've been saved now 20 years, not very long for some of you, long time for me. I experienced the Father's heart in ways that I never experienced ever in any other place in my life. In a supermax prison, I experienced the Father's heart because I saw sons that were more free behind those bars than I see in a lot of churches a lot of the time. Men that are told when they can and can't go to the bathroom with more freedom on their lives spiritually than a lot of churches every single Sunday. And I watched it happen, and miracles happen right there. One of the head gang leaders that had just gotten saved was there, and he had his two guys speaking to me. He wouldn't talk to me. He'd whisper in their ears. They're talking to me. He's a shot caller, and he just got saved, and I had a prophetic word over him that he was going to preach the gospel, that God was going to loosen his tongue to preach the gospel. He had one of his guys tell me that he doesn't talk out loud to people because he has an extreme stutter and he can't finish the sentence, so he has them talk for him because the stutter is seen as weak. And prophesy that over him. A week later, I get a report. This guy is preaching the gospel in the prison because God loosened his tongue and he no longer has a stutter. Like, you, you don't have to. There's a, um, in, in, I'll read it to you in Psalm 78. You should go there with me. It's good to turn to the same verse in the Bible together. That's what we do in church. Psalm 78, and if you jump down, this is one of my favorites. It's just, we'll just read verse 9, because the whole thing's good, but let's just read verse 9. I'll give you a second. Listen to our kids, they're having fun, you hear that? That's a good sign. Do you remember being in church as a kid before I got saved the second time, but the first time? You remember being in church as a kid and they just, you had to be quiet and people were like, oh man, couldn't laugh in church. That was bad. Just felt bad for laughing in church. Like such, oh, I'm glad God has a sense of humor, even when we don't. All right, verse nine. The Ephraimites armed with the bow turned back in the day of battle. That verse right there has always been haunting to me. The men of Ephraim 
were archers trained with bows. So they were the snipers of the day. They were the, that was a long range weapon. And they didn't just like these movies where they're launching it in the sky. Yeah, rain down, that whole thing that happened. But these guys, the men of Ephraim were not archers like here. We'll just shoot it in the sky, hoping that it lands on somebody. These were snipers who would pick out targets and just take them out. They had won battle after battle after battle. They were the descendants of the ones who'd seen, and if you go on and keep reading, seen the sea part. God parted the sea. You know, they're thirsty. Hit the stone. Rock. There's, there's water that flows out of the rock. They had seen the testimony of the Lord. It was no new thing to them. Not only that, they were commanded that their fathers would tell them and they would tell their children the testimony of God, that they would keep alive the testimony of God. So they were archers trained with bows. They had everything that they needed. They had a track record of winning battle after battle after battle, not only because they were archers trained with bows, but because the Lord was with them and he would guide their hand and victory was sure because of God, right? They turned back in the day of battle. Why? If you keep reading, the Bible says, because they did not follow his commandments and they forgot the testimony that he had performed in front of their faces. They forgot who he was, which in turn made them forget who they were. Pentecost Sunday is a sober reminder of who he is and in turn, who we are. The most important thing we can do as Christians is keep our eye on who he is because in keeping our eye on who he is, it points us towards who we really are. The truth of who you are is found in the truth of who he is, and the truth of who he is is found in the testimony of who he is. Like the things that he does in front of you, if you don't have your own testimony, listen to mine. You should. You probably should. You probably, you do? Maybe if you say, oh, I don't know, God doesn't really do anything, maybe you just need to open your eyes a little bit and look around you and realize that you woke up breathing this morning. You got to put clothes on it and come here. Like you have a testimony inside of you. You have things that he is doing for you. We have a testimony jar, and I have testimonies in there of God paid for a cheeseburger for me for lunch one time. I got it in there. You know, when me and Lace were so broke, we couldn't even, like, whatever the saying is, rub two pennies together or something like that. I don't know what that even means. But we were so broke. We were broke, broke. And someone bought me a Big Mac, and we still have that receipt written on top of it. It says... Didn't have lunch that day at work, and somebody bought me a big, I didn't ask for it. They didn't know. They just said, hey, I bought you this. You want it? Like, just random. And you could turn and thank the clouds when it rains, or you can go, I see you, God. You can thank the person and then go, I see you, God. So we keep that testimony, and we put it in a jar, and when times get weird or when times get maybe uh, feel a little bit hopeless or, you know, whatever it is, we look back at that time, and we go, that's beautiful. If he can do it with a cheeseburger, then he can do it with this. The men of Ephraim forgot who they were because they forgot who he was. Well, I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. There's other ways this can happen too. I remember the testimony. I was reminding myself the testimony all week this week. I remember the little girl who her back popped straight. I have not forgotten who he is. I have not forgotten the, the miracle of the young boy in Las Vegas who had extreme acne scars all over his face. And when we were praying for other things for kids with club feet were getting healed, he had acne scars all over his face. And someone called out a word of knowledge about acne scars disappearing. He came up for prayer. He came up for me to pray for him. And I said, what do you need prayer for? He said, I need prayer for all my acne scarring. And I'm looking at his face and I'm like, what acne scarring? I'd never seen him in my life. I didn't know this was different. And he's like, he, he thought I was being sarcastic. He's like, whatever, dude, seriously, the, my face, I need prayer for my face. He was getting frustrated with me. And I'm like, I don't know how to respond right now. He had a, he had a baby face, not one scar on his face. Apparently he had huge pockmarks from uh, acne. And I'm like, you don't have any, and he got, he was getting more and more frustrated with me. I had the first iPhone ever made. I think it was a, what is that, iPhone 3 or what was it? Just the iPhone. It's just an iPhone. It's just an iPhone. Look at that. We figured this out together. 
I don't want I don't want to feel like you thought I was dumb for asking which one it was, so I'm going to say we figured this out together. I held the camera up because it, it didn't have the facing camera. It only had the, and took a picture of his face and showed it to him. And I watched this young man fall down on his knees, wailing, crying, because he looked at his face. He saw his face for the first time because it was completely healed. I know the testimony of God. That's why, I mean, I was just at Costco this last week. And, you know, I walked out and this man was staring at me. And a lot of times when people are staring at me, he didn't look happy. A lot of times, when, I have this weird thing. So a lot of times when people are staring at you, you don't look happy, a lot of people just turn and walk the other way, right? Like you just like, okay, you're leaving anyway. Like I don't know what his problem is, but you keep walking. I have this weird thing where I walk towards people. I don't know what it is. I don't even know that I do it until I do it. And then I just walk straight towards him like this. And I'm like, hey, what's up? And I'm, I'm not mad at him. I'm like, hey, what's up? And he said, you're not wearing a mask. And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, you don't have to wear a mask. It was Costco you don't have to wear a mask in there? And I said, no, it's your choice now. They don't make you wear a mask anymore. And he goes, oh, thank God. I have COPD. I can't wear a mask. It makes me sick. And I said, you don't have to wear a mask anymore. He's like, thanks so much, man. I'm taking, he had his mask and a visor. He's like, I'm taking this thing back and putting it in the truck. I'm a little thick headed too. So it takes me a little while to get it. But he's walking back to his truck and I'm like, oh yeah. And so... <laughs> So I walk over there and I say, hey, <laughs> hey, uh, what do you think about me praying for your COPD? He said, uh, go right ahead. And I said, okay, cool. And he kind of looked at me weird and I, I said, I mean right now. And he goes, <laughs> he kind of like, he thought it over and he's like, uh, he kind of looked around. We're in the middle of the parking lot. He kind of looks around. And he's like, uh, okay, go for it. And I'm like, I, like I said, I'm kind of touchy. So not Leif yet. I didn't jump in his lap. But I put, my hand, I put my hand on his chest and one on his shoulder and just started praying for him. Asked him his name, started praying for him, and then just speaking over him like the love of God over this guy's life. And uh, he looked at me like I was crazy, and I'm like, no kidding. And uh, <laughs> it doesn't offend me anymore. I'm like, he gets it. I am a little crazy. And prayed for him, and then just told him, have a good day. And so, like, th that's normal life, right? So you can't take that from me. I, I am, I'm setting this up because I need you to see where I'm coming from here. I get it. God heals. He's beautiful. He's amazing. He's wonderful. I pray for people all the time. I don't tell it a lot of times. I tell my favorite testimonies. I don't tell new testimonies a lot of times just because this should be normal for all of us. But one of the things I recognized about this last six years is the fact that I have let things that have happened in the last, ministry's not fun sometimes. People are mean. They can be. They choose to be sometimes. Imagine that. Some people go, wait, your job's ministry, so what do you do? I'm like, oh, do you want to know? <laughs> Brace yourself. Well, first of all, people can be mean. You know, I've been called, when I was a drug dealer, I got called less names than when I'm a pastor. I can say that with all honesty. I get called names. <laughs> people go off on me. People have a free, I, I'm not complaining, <laughs> but people have a free license, they think, to treat you how they want and inbox you and say things. And uh, man, when I spoke for Jesus Culture, that was the best. I would get like 150 messages that were bad and about 200 that were good in an inbox within five minutes. People just, your, your theology is horrible. And I'm, I'm like, Wow. But ministry can be hard sometimes, and over the last six years, some of the people that we trusted the most, my wife and I, um, we, had, we, we walked out of some relationships just feeling completely, and there's two sides to every story, so I'm not going to act like mine's right, but we walked out feeling completely just hurt and destroyed in, on, on a lot of levels. And I noticed that in the last six years, um, that has affected me in ways that time is a, a booger. Because, you know, you can break your leg and it happens all at once and that, that is horrible, right? Or there's this thing called time where trauma in the same, like at that same level can happen over a slow erosion. 
and it affects you and it affects the way you move and it affects the way you think and it affects the way you act and you don't realize it as much as a quick trauma who it's like, oh yeah, I'm limping because I broke my leg. Um, I've been walking with a limp and it's been the slow trauma. And what I realized this week leading up to Pentecost Sunday, I hope this is going somewhere for you guys because I felt like I was supposed to be honest, but leading up to Pentecost Sunday, I noticed that in the same way that the men of Ephraim turned back because they forgot who he was and who they are, I didn't forget the testimony but I let people's words and actions change my heart enough that I calmed myself down spiritually just a little, took the edge off. Because somewhere in these last six years, I learned a lie. I'm being honest with you. I learned a lie that if you go for it all the way, you'll get hurt every time because the people you're running with will end up stabbing you in the side. Somewhere in there, I believed that lie. And so what I did was, if I just slow the pace a little bit, then I have less chance of getting hurt. And this week with God has been a real eye-opener. I've had Sundays where he sat on me, and the best message I ever spoke was me laughing and crying and, and tears and snot on the floor, right? <laughs> and, and the best message, like, I would love to do that for Pentecost Sunday right now. Let's just God sit on me, and I'll do that. And then Chris will be like, you didn't actually speak a message. You just made noises. And I'll be like, right on. <laughs> and I'll be like, remember that one time? Uh, I'd rather do that, but instead I'm being honest with you. And I'm sharing my heart. For the reason of this, we all deal with life stuff. Like what I'm talking about is not a me issue, it's a human thing. We all deal with life stuff. And the bait of the enemy is to, to desensitize us, one, to God, and then to each other. I mean, it's the greatest commandment in the Bible, right? Love the Lord your God. With everything you've got, your heart, your mind, your everything, everything. And then what? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Well, in the name of self-preservation without knowing it, you don't know you're deceived. If you know you're deceived, you're not deceived. You're just kind of going along with it. Well, in the name of self-preservation, uh, I've realized in the last six years that I've just... I've just turned the fan down on the fire and just try, I've, I've tried to survive rather than thrive for the sake of not getting hurt as much. And, uh, and I just am not okay with that. I know God's a miracle worker. I've, that's, that's not changed inside of me. But I'll tell you this, I've stopped pushing the envelope and pushing into the things of heaven just a little bit in order to survive. And I'm just not okay with it. And we all have the opportunity to do that in life. And we'll find ourselves where we're just a little less passionate about things. And we'll find ourselves where we're like, I used to dream for Atlanta to get saved. But now I would be happy with just having a really great group of people that are on fire for God. And that sounds honorable. uh, But... I just don't think that it lines up with the grand nature of God fully. Like, I, I think that I've let go some of the dreams in my heart. I, I might have shared a little bit about this months back, about remembering that I let go of some dreams, but I let go of some dreams in my heart because I got hurt and I got offended. And I'll tell you this, I'll share this this morning, knowing that church hurt and church offense is not, uh, it's not something that this room is empty of. Um, because I know that a lot of us get hurt. Shoot, I had a chance to get offended this morning. I'm like, dang, I'm going to get up and talk about it. And I'm sitting here thinking, man, I didn't like that. <laughs> Somebody said something, and I was like, I didn't like that at all. <laughs> it was none of you. It was one of you. I've been sat on by the presence of God. I've been woke up in the middle of the night, and God took me to the Golden Gate Bridge. And you can think this is crazy all you want. Fine, I don't. He took me to the Golden Gate Bridge in the middle of the night, woke me up out of a dead sleep, took me to the Golden Gate Bridge in the middle of the night where there was a young man, he's probably 19 years old, standing on the rail of the Golden Gate Bridge holding a thing. I was in my bed. He woke me up. And I, I, I sat there and I interceded for that young man, and I started talking to him, and I watched him get down off that rail and walk off. And you can say, well, that's a... That's a weird dream or that's a weird happening. And I know, I know God took me somewhere in the middle of the night because my heart was available. 
And my heart just hasn't been as available for the last six years as that. So I look back, and that's why I said it's a good checkpoint. I look back, and this is a good checkpoint to go, I want some more of that back, where I've just taken the edge off. I mean, that was a radical experience. I've seen God multiply food. I've seen God take enough food to feed 25 people and feed 350 homeless people with an entire thing of gumbo left over. We went back to church the next day and sold it at a fundraiser and made enough money to cook two more weeks of gumbo for the homeless. Because we had a little pot of gumbo. Well, we had a big pot with a little bit of gumbo in it. (laughs) Oops. And it fed 350 homeless, came back, fed all the church, and made so much money we could cook two more weeks ago. I've seen the stuff. I've tried to walk on water. That one's not happened yet. (laughs) You get wet. (laughs) I've seen the stuff. I've had a youth group who saw revival on their campus. I mean, full-on revival on their campus. Students getting healed almost every day. We would have testimonies at youth group. We would have to cut it off in an hour because students told so many testimonies. We'd have to tell them next week, and they'd go, they knew they weren't being able to tell it next week because they knew there would be a bunch of people next week telling testimonies. And so we had to start a paper. One of the girls that got saved because she got healed at school started a paper in full color telling the testimonies of what God was doing in the city through the youth and she would hand them out at school she would copy them on her own money and hand them out at school to tell the testimonies full color with pictures of the people that got healed guy holding up his crutches the whole thing telling I, I've seen the stuff but it's not enough it's only one part of it beholding the testimony and keeping it in front of you is so important but it's only one part of it your heart is a massive part of it. Offense and hurt can dull the things inside of us just enough. Just enough to where we get by, but we don't thrive. And I would maybe introduce the idea that God's got so much more for us than that. And he doesn't want us to limp through life with this pain, but really put it out in front of him. I thought I was immune to it, honestly. I thought I was doing pretty good with it. But I started thinking, and I thought, you know, the young Scott from 15 years ago, younger Scott from 15 years ago, maybe wouldn't identify with these feelings, but he definitely wouldn't agree with the thought process behind them. Like, he, he wasn't as hurt by people. Uh, he had different things that he was dealing with. But he definitely wouldn't identify with the process of like, oh, that's the route you're going to take. Because that young man would walk into every situation with fire rolling in his eyes. And so I'm just telling you because there's a, there's a power to repentance. Repentance isn't always like I'm doing something intentionally bad, I'm sinning. Repentance is I've realized something. And it's not, I'm not completely walking the direction that God has for me. And so I'm repenting in front of you as an invitation for you to maybe look at your heart and go, God, what do you have for me? And what does it look like? Like there's areas that I was so passionate about that I don't fully carry passion in right now. And I don't think that it's the Lord that I don't carry passion in. So I want that passion back. I I know it's there. I want to invest it again. And I want to stand up. I want to look at our city. I I do have this. And it is coming alive. But I want to look at our city. And I want to fully be passionate about it. I want to be an instrument to bring back human sensitivity. I want to be a sign of love that starts to change society back to the point where we can look each other in the eyes and care for each other. I want to be a sign of the supernatural where, yes, miracles break out, but also I hold the door for the person. I let them go first. I carry their groceries. I, do, I want to serve society again with a heart that says, God, I'm serving you in this, and I want to be passionate about it. I don't want to just, I I love people, I pray for people, but people annoy me now more than they used to. I'm being honest with you. And I I don't want that hard edge to control my actions at all. You know, they annoy me when I drive. That's my worst one. Lacey reminds me of it. I love people right here to their face, but when I'm driving, I'm like, are you kidding me? You got two kinds of people. You got people in the city that cut you off and take your turn, and then if you go to Sonoy, you get to a four-way stop after the person, like five seconds after them, and they wave you on like it's your turn. Just as annoying to me. And, and uh, roundabouts.
do yourself a favor. Don't go to England where they do it right and then come back here because you will give up, you, you, you'll, everything will go. You're not saved long enough for that to be able to walk that one out. No, it, it gets to me. This might sound little to you, but it annoys me. And, it, and I can feel it. I can feel just the edge of my heart. And it's just a, a desensitization to the people around me. And I'm like, God, I want to love people well. Like, I want the drive in my heart to be pointed at loving people well. And so I take a step back and I go, okay, then I got to learn to love me well again. Because this is what it's come down to. I've been protecting myself. And so then I take another step back and I go, okay, God. So the foundation of where it all starts is right here. Because this right here needs to be healed. I think my offense is probably towards God. That's what I want to share with you today. I think my offense is probably towards God. Because it happened in his house. And I let people, (laughs) I let people's words and people's actions I need to keep my heart out, so listen to that. Like, I don't need to hide my heart. It's, this is the most important place you can have your heart right here. But I let people's actions and people's words hurt my heart to the point where I protected it from everyone, including God a little. And that, that is where the hardening of the heart starts. And so I'm taking steps back right now on Pentecost Sunday to go, God, I just want this to be really freaking solid. Like, I don't want to work at it. (laughs) Because working at something is a sign of, like, the passion's probably gone there, right? When you're really passionate, it's it's like wind at your back, right? So I want to get back to that place where my first thought is, and I love God, but my first thought is, wow, God. And I want the edges of my heart to be so soft that I can feel that light, that gentle rain of his presence, not just the big, big moments, but that gentle rain of his presence. I want to wake up passionate. I want to wake up in the middle of the night and go to the Golden Gate Bridge again. I want to wake up and do these things. I want to, I want to do these things because passion stirs me. And so in order for that to happen, I have to take a couple of steps back and I have to lock eyes one more time and go, okay, God, I'm going to trust that you are for me no matter what. You know, if God is for you, then who can be against you? Doesn't mean that people won't be against you. It just means that it doesn't affect you the same way. When you can lock eyes with him, those kind of things are like water off a duck's back. It just sheds off of you so much easier. But when we take our eyes off of him and we start to look at the hurt and the offense and all those things too much, then it just starts to change the way we think. It starts to change the way we act. And we start to go for self-preservation over everything else. If I... I have a choice. I can either be intoxicated by the things of God or I can be sober to the things of this world. And I'm just, I'm just not willing to let a sobriety of the things of this world overtake the intoxication of the love of a good, good father. Like he is so good and I want to be completely drunk in his love. These men are not drunk as you suppose. That's what they said. <laughs> they were so drunk in the Holy Spirit, they had to tell them, no, 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 they haven't been drinking. Well, they have been, it's just different. You know, how do you explain that? They're just not drunk the way you think they're, yes, they're drunk, they're not drunk the way you think they're drunk. I know I've gone for a long time. Maybe I'll have four more minutes. <clears throat> I want to get intoxicated once again. Not just the goodness of the Father, but the dreams that are in his heart. I want to trust him again to the place where I can trust people again. I want to put my heart back out there. I want to dream in a way that's scary. (laughs) I want him to sit on me. (laughs) That was a wild day. (laughs) It didn't feel that good. It was a lot of weight. (laughs) He sat on me and changed me forever. Just groans groans that only the spirit could (laughs) make sense of but I want to go back to that or maybe I want to go forward to what's next maybe that's a better way to say it 
broke the rearview mirror off a long time ago, so I don't want to go back to anything, but maybe I want to go forward into all that he's got for us. And this is the last thing. I, I just don't have the time, energy, the patience, or drive to be part of a community that just wants to do church on Sunday. I want to be part of a crazy radical family, fire breathing, oh, fire in their eyes. They don't care what it looks like. They don't care what people say about it. They're just so intensely preoccupied with Jesus that they don't have the time or energy to be preoccupied with <laughs> the status quo or popularity or fads or any of those kind of things or, or, or church cleanliness, you know. <laughs> They're just radical lovers, laid down lovers, messy for Jesus. The kind that people go, they're a little crazy. You go, oh, you met them? I love them. I want to be part of a family. I don't want to be part of an organization. I want to be part of radicals, revivalists, sons and daughters. Like the whole world has eagerly awaited the revealing of those. The ones who arise and shine because their light has come. You know? The ones that the glory is on. The ones that just take that chance, the ones that take risk, the ones that step out. That's what I want to be a part of because life's too short. My, my son's 18. My baby's 15. We just had them. Life's too short to live mediocre spiritually. And I'm not talking about works. I'm talking about radical living in the presence of God. You want to argue with me about testimonies? I don't have time to argue with you. All I can do is point you to the truth of that little girl got up and walked and that little girl heard and that little girl's back popped straight and that football player at that high school had his knee completely healed because 14-year-olds called out words of knowledge. And that high school, public high school in Australia, at lunchtime, the students got back from conference and they went to lunch and they started singing rain down and the presence of God fell on that campus and over 150 high schoolers stayed on the ground for three days straight because the presence of God was on a public school campus and the teachers couldn't figure it out. And the high, don't get me started, the high school in South Africa, this girl just graduated high school, came to a Jesus Culture Conference, told them, go out and do the stuff. You can do it, right? Simple message. I'm just a cheerleader. She went back, believed me. Better, better yet, believed God. Went back home, told her dad what was going on inside of her. Her dad was a principal of the school. He said, well, why don't you come and speak at chapel and tell them everything that God did? Very serious South African uh, private school. Holy Spirit was not invited. Honestly. And he said, why don't you come tell what God's doing at chapel? She starts telling what God's doing at chapel. She sends me a picture, says, pray for me. I'm speaking at my old school that I just, she just graduated from at the end of the summer, and now it's the beginning of the year. I'm speaking at school. Sends me a picture of all these students, 500 students, all standing there, serious as can be in uniforms. 20 minutes later, sends me a picture of all 500 of them laying on the ground with tears streaming down their face because she started sharing what God was doing and the Holy Spirit dropped in her school. Within, within the next two weeks, she'd been invited to all these schools in the region. 2,500 students saved in two weeks. People getting out of wheelchairs. Small groups starting at the high schools. Revival groups starting at the high schools because one girl took God serious. <laughs> we got to maintain our hearts. We got to keep them soft. We got to forgive. We got to move past these things. We've got to, like, I don't know how weird you think this sounds. A lot of you think it's okay, but maybe a few of you think, oh, that's weird. I got to forgive God. Not because he did something wrong to me, but because I got offended and I blamed him without knowing it, and it affected my heart. And so I need to forgive God, not for God, but for me. I need to let go, and I need to start trusting again. And we all have opportunities in life to have these things affect us, and it just dulls us a little bit. Can you stand with me? The men of Ephraim were archers trained with bows. They had the testimony of victory after victory after victory. 
They turn back in the day of battle. And don't get it twisted. We are in the day of battle. They turn back in the day of battle. Because they forgot the law. And the law written on your heart is the law of love. And they forgot the testimony. And those two things caused them to forget who God was fully and to forget who they were. And they turned back and settled for something so much less. God, I do not want to settle. Father, I thank you for so many things that are going so right with me and you. (laughs) And I thank you for this church of really just absolutely great people, wonderful, wonderful, awesome people. I thank you that they love you. I thank you, God, that so many things are going right. But God, I give you hurt and I give you my offense. And I give you uh, (laughs) my right to protect myself. And God, I, I will no longer protect myself from your call that you've put on my life. I'll no longer protect myself from your church or your bride. God, I give it back to you. I choose to trust you again with my heart, with my wife, with my family who you've all along taken such good care of. God, I give up offense. God, I invite you into that place. If you've experienced hurt, if you've experienced offense, if you've experienced disappointment when it comes to the things of God or to the church, then I want to invite you this morning to hold those things out in front of you and trust one more time that He is good, that people aren't perfect and you're one of them, Hurt happens, and you might fall down because of it, but I thank you, God, that the righteous stand back up again and again and again, that you, even when we're weary and tired, you raise us up on wings of eagles. God, this morning, I stand back up. God, I'm not praying for fresh fire. In the words of Reinhardt, bonky. Who needs fresh fire? This old fire inside of me is just fine. God, I don't pray for fresh fire, but Lord, I put my eyes back on the fire that you've placed inside of me. I thank you for it. And this morning, God, I ask for the winds of heaven to blow back on it again. Lord, I just say, have your way in me. Have your way in this family and have your way in Atlanta, God. In Jesus' mighty name.